in my research of what I could find online about your story, um, number one, it, it's fascinating. And I just wanted to ask you, where did this spirituality part come in? Where did you, did somebody teach you that? Is that from your childhood or is that something that you found later on? Um, it's definitely something I found later on, but you know, the foundation was laid early. Um, I, as long as I can remember, we went to church. Um, my dad was uh, a minister at some point. He even had a church um, for, for a few years. Really? Um, yes, I mean, it was always a very, you know, spiritual household, but it was different. It was still spiritual with um, layers of religion. And um, I think as I got older and I think got a little bit more distant from religion, I found more spirituality. And like, I found, I found answers to the things that man couldn't give me. Um, and then, you know, in, in moments of uh, uh, extreme distress, uh, you know, I've just had some like, some God moments that were just so strong and so pivotal that, that you know with all certainty that, okay, this is God. Like, this is nothing short of like a miracle. Like, this, is, this is insane. I can't even explain it. Um, and, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know, I've always just been really receptive. So um, it's weird. It, it's it's weird, you know, saying it. Cause I always tell people, like, you know, God will talk to me and, you know, I'll hear um, things and I know that this is the direction to move in. And it's just, you know, it's like um, your higher conscience, like, you know, your higher conscience. It, it's the voice that always talks to you. Even when you ignored it and did stupid shit, you're going to actually moves it'll you know but it's the same thing it's like we all hear it it's just you know like do you move absolutely and generally like when i hear it i move very absolutely whatever i hear and i understand that this is you know my higher conscience is making me aware of something i just right. have a habit of, of moving 100 percent Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is David Nagel from the Successful Mind Podcast. This is our Movers and Shakers series. The gentleman that you're about to see in my interview coming up goes by the name of Fresh, and literally had been swept on to success by making one significant change in the idea that he really wasn't presenting a, an authentic side to the way he was approaching success. He was presenting a false made-up side, and he believes that God told him to be his authentic self, and the result was astronomical success in his life. And it's not what most people would actually think. I think you're going to be surprised, and it's going to be a fantastic education in being who you really are and accepting that with everything that you have. Watch. And I think you'll find this fascinating. Hey, everybody. It's David Nagel. Welcome back. 
Today, I'm with Fresh. He's the CEO and founder of Henry Mask and is a tailor, designer, and entrepreneur. He's a creative genius behind one of the hottest fashion lines out today, Rich Fresh, which has been seen on the likes of Justin Bieber, Dwayne Wade, Diddy, just to name a few. While he's become extremely successful using his talents, the road to success was not an easy one for him. And we're going to hear a little bit about his journey today. Fresh, thank you for doing this. Like, I am so grateful and honored to be able to, uh, to, to listen to you and learn from you and to have all of uh, the people that listen to our podcast really learn and be a benefit to, to your journey. So thank you very much. David, I, I appreciate you having me on. You know, I, I really respect what you do, uh, sharing these stories with, um, with people who need to hear them. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. You're, you're welcome. Tell us a little bit about your journey because it is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. So what, how, like, give us a brief overview of, of your journey through life. Um, okay. Uh, well, before I, I do that, I just want um, to add uh, Henry Mask. I actually co-founded with my brother. So me and my brother founded that company um, last year, but uh, I'm, I'm the, the sole founder of Rich Fresh. Okay. Um, you know, he and I, we've got our thing and our story is crazy. Like he's got us, he's got a very unique story as well. Um, but, you know, our story is just, I'm just a kid, you know, I was uh, very artistic when I was a kid, very smart. And I just always wanted to create things. That was my thing. I was the kid that drew stuff all the time. I would fold things and make little origami, you know, balloons and just all kind of little stuff. I just like making things that didn't exist. Uh, I had a super creative imagination. And, um, you know, at the same time, my dad was always fascinated with the idea of wealth. You know, I think, you know, I admire that about my dad that he was, you know, my, my, my parents grew up poor. So they both decided that they wanted more. A lot of people don't decide they want more. They both decided that they wanted more. And they met each other and continued wanting more. And um, we got to really see them like go after more and become more successful and get some of the things that they really wanted. And I, you know, like early on, I just I was fascinated with it. Like my dad was, I would, I would see him light up about certain things or get excited about certain things. I would watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with him. So um, I kind of always had this thing where I wanted to be hyper successful. And then entrepreneur was a big word when we were growing up. So I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a hyper successful entrepreneur creative. Um, how, you know, who knows? Um, and, but, you know, I mean, we, we grew up modest. Um, just regular, you know, just middle class. Uh, parents put themselves through school. So I'm, I'm the oldest of four. And we just bounced around a lot. You know, we, we moved everywhere. Uh, my parents were military, so we moved all over the place. And eventually, um, we settled in Memphis by the time I was, uh, like 15. Okay. By that point, I've got the fashion bug. I got in the fashion bug in Little Rock and was just obsessed with the idea of going from this nerdy kid in Little Rock to being a cool kid one day and, um, looking at all the fashion magazines and just like taking it all in. I taught myself how to sew like real covertly, um, just because, like, I, I saw this thing. I saw this possibility of being, like, cool, being, like, a rock star if I could yeah. own this thing. And then we moved to Memphis. Um, 
I started buying all the nice clothes. I want to have the right image. You know, before school starts, I had a conversation. God had a conversation with me on the ride from Little Rock to Memphis. And it showed me like, hey, you can become someone totally different. You're going where no one, no one's ever seen you. You can become someone totally different. Rebrand yourself. And that's the first time like I went from being a dud to a stud. Like I went from <laughs> boom to this, just from, from having it here. And so um And how old were you at that point? Fifteen. Fifteen. And so, but you know, at 13, I was the second worst dressed kid in middle school. Like I was not cool. I was super nerdy, real quiet, very insecure. Um, and then at 15, I'm like maybe this the first or second best dressed kid at my new high school. It's a total 180. That is, yeah. Yeah. And um, and I just realized that like I could still be myself, but I had this thing that gave me this superpower because the girls paid attention to me. All the guys wanted to be cool like me. It's like I got all the stuff that I wanted and all I had to do was just wear the clothes. Like, it's crazy. So um, after high school, you know, I was super nerdy, which means I had really good grades and all that jazz. <laughs> I had a lot of scholarship offers to do what was expected. You know, go off to these good, these Ivy League schools. You know, I'm the, the first you know, I'm supposed to go off and, and do these things. My dad's got an MBA. He put himself through, you know. And I said, no, I don't want to do any of that. I don't do any of that shit. I want to do fashion. And um, so I just went completely against the grain and just turned out all the scholarships. And it's like, I, I just want to figure out how to do fashion, man. I just think this thing's so real. And I would love doing it. And I think I'm smart enough to figure out how to make some money. What did your parents think about the idea of fashion yeah. back then? They thought it was crazy. They thought it was, they didn't think fashion was a thing. They thought it was like, like, you mean these clothes that you buy all the time? That's not a job. Like, it's not a real thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's real. It's just how do you make it real? Like, people have made it real. And I think I can make it real. But for them, you know, they don't come from anything that shows that that's real. Um, so for them, you know, they didn't want their son to have a hard time out here, which I had a hard time out here. But that's life. Um, but... So yeah, I turned on all the scholarships, pissed my parents off. I ended up getting kicked out of the house. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it was cool. So uh, I'm, I'm now I'm this young tailor because um, fashion really wasn't a thing. Like I wasn't going to make money doing fashion in Memphis. So I decided to brand myself as a tailor instead. Just thinking of the economics, I'm more likely to get alterations money faster than I can get someone to buy a shirt that I designed. Okay. Everyone wears clothes and no one's clothes fit. My clothes always fit. Let me brand myself this way. And I started a business doing it for uh, dry cleaners, doing alterations for dry cleaning. I did that when I was 21. It's like, just again, on, on the economics, I want to make money doing alterations. I like sewing. What could I build to get lots of this? Oh, I could do this. And then boom. Okay, cool. So I built that and like, you know, I was a kid, so I mean, building a a, a business is, is doing like, you know, eight ten thousand a month. For me, that was like amazing. Fuck, I'm, yeah. I'm making the money that 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 the the that shit maybe that, that my dad makes. Yeah. You know? Um. So I'm like, oh shit, this is dope. So I built that, and I just leaned into that role. Like I was like, well, fuck, you know, I I figured out how to make a hundred thousand with it. I can probably figure out how to make a million with it. And uh, that million came a lot later. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> In fact, that was the most I ever made. 
I think that first year doing a hundred thousand was like the most that I ever made until I made my next million. Wow. Um, so it was like 20 years of like making shit, dog shit money. Um, just, you know, like life, life happened. Um, I was, you know, I was married at the time and it was a bad marriage. So, you know, that affects how you move. Um, I was still broke. So that affected how I moved. And then, um, you know, I, I'm a person that challenges myself. So I recognize that, like, I'm only going to do so much in Memphis and only so much is expected. Like in Memphis, you don't really have to make that much money to live decently. Right. Which means you got challenged to do more. I have to have a challenge. Um, and so I decided to move to bigger markets. I moved to New York to learn how to tailor more. And I want to be in a more challenging market. Um, so I moved there. I was there for maybe seven months. And then the, um, the housing market crashed in 08. So I ended up moving back home to Memphis. And I had a young daughter. Um, and uh, by the time I got back to Memphis, uh, I ended up getting custody of her. And uh, her mom moved. And it was just me now and this like two-year-old daughter. I'm like, oh, shit, what, what just happened? Um, I mean, you know, it, it, I, I saw it coming, but still, like, the reality is, like, oh, shit, what just happened? Um, and I'm broke. <laughs> so, That's a wake-up call. Right. Uh, it's like, okay, so, um, and I'm back in Memphis. So I just started figuring things out, just hustling, just, you know, just doing the alterations and stuff. And that's when I started making bags, just doing whatever I could creatively to get money because I got to feed this kid. And I, I don't want to put her in daycare and all this stuff and make her someone else's responsibility. She's my responsibility. And I want to make sure that she's protected and she's safe. So um, that was just how I moved. And so I did that for like a year, just hustling, just making like no money, being on welfare. It was just, it was rough, bouncing like from couch to couch, like at the mercy of friends and you know, people, because it's just not coming in like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think at some point, I'm just like, this is, this is enough. Like, it was just, I think, I think I'm, 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 I'm maxed out, you know. I put a lot of energy out, but I either don't have access to the right resources or just the right audience. Something's not right. So I can't keep doing this. So I had like 500 bucks, and um, my brother and I just decided to move. We're like, let's just move to the West Coast. We didn't know anyone. We'd never even been. We said, let's go. <laughs> it's like, it, it should be cool. It's got to be better than this. And that was it. Like three weeks later, we moved to San Diego. Um, and my sister was there. She was in the military. Well, she was just getting stationed there because we were going to move straight to Los Angeles. But when we heard that she was getting stationed in San Diego, we wanted to be closer to her. And she, she was like, she was 19, 20 at the time. Okay. So... So we go to San Diego and we're all, you know, standing together in military housing. And that's like, that's what you'd expect adult siblings living together. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so we end up, you know, striking out and just, you know, and me and my brother, we stuck together the whole time. Like me and my brother, and my daughter, we just stuck together. It's like, we're, we're a unit. We're in this thing together. So we would just like find whatever we could find and just make things work. And, um, you know, at certain points it got it got bleak and like like I can't even take care of my kid right now. So, you know, my mom stepped in for a second and just, you know, she really helped me out. Um and let Ava come stay out there. You know, she let my daughter come stay out there and just let me and my brother go through some really rough stages. 
you know, um, we had a lot of stuff going on. Like our dad had just recently passed real abruptly. So mentally we were scarred. And then, you know, we just had demons that we were dealing with and we didn't know anyone. Like we didn't have a support system. We were each other's support system. We were the only people that we knew. Uh, but we had these big dreams, these huge aspirations. And, um, and things were just sucking. Like you talking like getting evicted. Oh man, I got evicted so many times. I pulled up to apartments and my shit been outside in boxes and just like little crates and I wow. can't get in and I got my kid and I'm like, shit. And she just like, got to just like chill and like kind of lean on a box while I, while I figure out where the hell I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was real having cars towed because you parked in the wrong spot. You don't have the money for it, but that's going to cost you, you know what I'm saying? So that was like, that was life. It was like a nightmare movie. But um, still wanted nice stuff. Just never gave up hope. And then um, we had this weird situation happen, me and my brother, with my daughter, too. Um, and we bumped into this cat, this uh, undercover millionaire, this, this Swedish dude. And um, we befriended him, and we were just really cool to him. And um, he tells us that he's this person or whatever, you know, not like super famous or anything. Yeah. But, um, but you know, he's just like... I'm in a certain situation. So we're like, oh, cool. And so we decided to start a business together. And all of a sudden, we're living this different lifestyle. And like we've gone from like really living rough to living okay. You know, we got a little situation, a cool apartment. And now all of a sudden, boom, we're in a villa. Like we're driving around in Maseratis. Like what just happened? This is all, this happened overnight. Like what wow. happened? Um, and we started this 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 company that was doing like pretty um pretty cool and and so you know we're 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 doing this um we started this this company and um everything's popping you know so we're like oh wow you know we're 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 sitting on top of the world and that was like it was a thing that kind of sparked something for us we were like wait a second this is real like it was it was like entourage it was literally yeah. like entourage. And we're like, wow, this is real. And we stuck together. Like, my daughter got to experience it. And we built this cool thing. And it, it was it was really cool in San Diego, you know, which is still cool. But yeah. um, we had this feeling and we felt it. And I think that was all we needed was just, like, feel it and to know it was possible. And then, boom, just like that was taken. So I think we, we lived that lifestyle for, like, six months. You know, we were on top of the world. And six months is a long-ass time. Yeah. Um, and then it was suddenly gone. Like, just like that, just gone. Like that. I'm talking about overnight gone. Because we didn't control anything. Okay. We were, we were beneficiaries of, but we didn't control anything. We didn't control gotcha. the money. We didn't control anything. So the second that the partner decided that he wanted to move in another direction, that was it. And all of our eggs were in that basket. All of our, everything we had was tied into it. And all yes. of a sudden, boom, it was gone. And um, so shit got rough again. <laughs> and uh, it was a wake-up call. But, you know, it's like all these things, you know, in hindsight are just like wake-up calls. And they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're check marks uh, or checkpoints to let you know, like, just because you get it don't mean you keep it, you know? Right. So you have do things to keep it. So, but after that, 
I said, man, hell with San Diego. <laughs> hell with San Diego. I'm done. San Diego was rough, man. It was three years. It was so rough. It was one of the roughest places I've ever been. Like, New York was easier for me than San Diego. Yeah. San Diego was rough. But, you know, builds character. Um, so I moved to Los Angeles. And I, I wasn't known for, for getting jobs. Like, I never had jobs. I was always just figuring out how to get money. But this time I was like, man, I'm going to get a job. You know, let me figure out how, let, let me figure out the lay of the city. Um, and, you know, I don't need able to have to struggle so much. So I get a job. I was working at the mall. Uh, but, you know, I was selling like luxury goods, but I'm still selling, I'm working at the mall. And um, it just wasn't really all that, you know, it's cool, but like, it was, it wasn't really good money. It wasn't a great experience. I wasn't being really treated with much value. And so right at a year, I decided to quit. You know, they were starting to mistreat me. Uh, even though like I was a high producer for them, I was, I had more input than they were used to someone like myself having. Sure. Um, and I've never been one to just shut up. So, you know, that rubs certain people the wrong way. And when you're the only person of color in an entire organization, <laughs> it's not necessarily the best position to be in. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just who I am. And so I decided to start a business. I'm like, okay, well, cool. I can tell I'm going to have, I'm not going to have a good experience here at this point. Um, and I don't feel like having to prove myself or playing in games with adults. So I'm right. just going to start a business. And I started a little business, you know, I had found a, a source to make custom suits and I'm a tailor, you know, I know how to make things fit. And um, I started a little business, you know, I, I decided, I had been to this guy's event, it was like a private event. And I liked how exclusive it felt. So I decided to throw something that felt exclusive and it felt sexy. It wasn't even about the clothes, it was about the experience. And once I get them there, then I'm gonna sell them suits. And I did that, and um, I made like almost 20000 in a weekend. So I was like, oh, shit, okay, I can do this. Uh -huh. And so I quit my job, and I started just doing that, just doing these parties. And I would do, you know, I would do numbers. Like, i do 25, you know, in, in a six- to eight-hour session. You know, i do $25,000 in sales. But... It was such a production. I didn't have the right team, and I was on drugs. And I was an alcoholic, so um, all of it was just—it was just crumbling. So I was—I was fucking it up just as quickly as I was getting it, um, and then it just stopped coming in. And then um, I already had the bad habits from when I had all this money coming. Gotcha. All these stupid habits, and they stuck around, and. Um, now there's no money. So now you look up and you're broke and you still have these habits that you, like you feed the habits. Like you actually spend money on drugs when you don't have enough money for like your responsibilities. You, you, you will spend money on alcohol. Yeah. Though you don't, it's, it's like, man, well, I need this drink in order to not be so stressed out about not being able to pay my bills. Like, no, it's so stupid. Right. Um, but that was like, that was my cycle. So. Um, you know, it was, it was like, all right, cool. So, um, I'm doing that and that's my lifestyle. And so, um, well, at this point, my daughter is, is, uh, staying with her mom now because okay. now she's in New York. 
Um, you know, her mom showed up and she was like, hey, I want to, I want to, um, you know, I want to have a relationship with my kid. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, which itself was like a little bit of a pain point for me because, you know, you get really attached, you know, and like, you know, it, it didn't go, it didn't go as planned. So it was, it was, it was also kind of rough. Um, and I just had a million excuses to just, you know, be, be a shitty version of myself. And uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing great business and all this jazz. And I was just a guy with a lot of potential who's just disorganized and somewhat dysfunctional. And um, I looked up and had no more money. And I had just been ripped off by a guy who had a lot of money, a customer um, that ripped me off. And I'm out of money and this guy owes me like $15,000. And I'm, I'm in a bad spot mentally, but I'm also out of money. Um, and that's how I ended up, uh, that's how I ended up in, in, in the shelter. Just a culmination of things, not even just the one guy ripping me off. Because if I handled my business and I had some money, I still could have been straight. Right. Didn't handle my business. Nor did I, nor did I have a reputation for like doing good business. So, you know, when, when you're not known for having people's back, who's going to have your back? Exactly. You know? And why is it expected that someone should? So the people that I thought would have my back, they were just as flawed as I was. I was hanging with people who were just like me. And just like I let people down, people let me down. And none of the people I was hanging with had my back. Um, and so you just don't have any options. You're like, shit, you're out of options, Jack. You know, you're walking the street. You know, like, you're in trouble. And that's just what it was for like three months. I'm just like... Oh, you're man. literally living out of a shelter at this point. Oh, yeah, shelter. Hell, some nights couldn't couldn't make the money to get in because they're not free, you know, and I might sleep on a park bench or just whatever, like figure some shit out. Um, but yeah, it was like 90 days of that. But that was like, that was the experience that that's how I cracked my code. You know, I figured out um, that's when I had like my, my, my spirituality moment. What you happened? Know, when, um, so I told you that this customer ripped me off, right? Yeah. So I was I was going after this customer for months, trying to get my money from this guy. And while I'm doing that, I'm not putting any fires out there. Like I'm not I'm not putting anything out to make more money because I'm just relying on this one source that I'm expecting. And he just you know you know he just burned me. He had no intention of taking care of it. He just burned me. And so I'm spending my my energy doing this, and um. I get so mad, um, you know, I call this guy and I'm cussing his voicemail out and I'm telling him he better have my money and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's never going to happen, but that's how I'm moving. And, you know, I hang up the phone and, uh, and then boom, I, I hear the voice of God, you know, laughing at me and mocking me and then chastising me for going to a man more than I come to God. Like, really? You've gone to a man about your problem more than you've come to me about it. And you know he's not going to take care of you. And you've never once prayed and asked for help. And so I got chastised for that. And, um, and by acknowledging it and choosing to never call this guy again, 
to just take this one on the chin as my my experience um I was given a vision of like being famous being like rich being like successful being a thing having people taking photos of you being like a rock star driving yeah. around just living in beautiful homes like what is this and this is like I'm sleeping on I'm sleeping on the floor next to like other people who are also here in the shelter. Like I can, I can stretch my arm out and touch people on both sides. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, you know, what's really important. Like you're not given a vision of going to work at McDonald's or something. You're given a vision of way over on the other side. And yet you're having this experience in the shelter. It's completely different than what you're currently experiencing. Like, I think that's really amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a parallel universe. Like, it was the furthest thing from reality, but I had gotten a taste of it before. Yeah. Diego. So I had this taste. And funny thing, my daughter, when she moved to New York, you know, we had this moment, uh, this, you know, this made for, for TV moment. <laughs> um, we're about to move. And she was like, Daddy, you made me a promise? I was like, okay, what's up? She's like, you promised me that you'll get the Maserati back? I really like the Maserati. I was like, uh, sure. She's like, oh, also, promise that you'll get the mansion back too. I was like, hmm, okay. So I was just like a, an innocent uh, promise that I made to my kid. So I always had this thing in the back of my head, like, fuck, I got to get this Maserati. I even stopped driving the car that I was driving because I was like, this isn't, this isn't the car I'm supposed to be driving. I'm supposed to be driving a Maserati. I'm not going to drive this car. It's having too many issues. I'll just Uber until I can drive a Maserati. And I did exactly that. Really? Um, but like, I just had this idea um, of what the future could be. And, you know, I was just given to me in a dream while I was in the shelter. I'm just seeing this reality. And I just knew, like, man, this is so real. This is like the future. It's got to be like the future. And I got up and I just started moving differently, like in my mind. Um, and so about two, three weeks later, I was out. And um, it's like I started waking up and I started feeling different. Like I usually was waking up angry because everyone had let me down. Like everyone who I counted on and trusted, no one had like come through for me. You know what I'm saying? So I was just like real angry at everything and everybody. And that's how I woke up every day. And I was getting that energy in return. Huh. And now all of a sudden, I shifted that. And I, um, I'm waking up now and I'm feeling different. I'm feeling like, you know what? One day I'm gonna write a book. And when I do, this chapter is gonna be crazy. They're not gonna believe this shit. That was how I was moving. Like, all right, cool. Well, you know, just let's just get up out of here. You know, let's just get up out of here. Let's get out of here. It's all good, man. Let's just get out of here. Yeah. And um, figure that out. Uh, just, you know, moving into a little Airbnb. Just something a little, a little bit more expensive. <laughs> but it wasn't in the shelter. And it was still terrible. It was a rat hole. Um, but I'm not there anymore. And so, but God told me that I wouldn't be there. Like, in, in the visions I was having, God assured me that, I would be out before my birthday. And my birthday was in January. So I had this assurance. So I knew like, okay, just move different, 
God's got you. It'll 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 work out. I had no idea what was gonna happen. And then boom, I'm out. I'm like, oh, okay, shit, I'm out. And then um, I started. Uh, you know, I, then I moved to this other um, Airbnb that had a rooftop, and I would go to the rooftop every morning. I would roll a joint, and it's like one of them Airbnbs is like a two bedroom, but it's got five different people living in it. Yeah, people living in half the living room. It's still one of them situations. But I got my own room. It was like a little office space, but it had a room in it um, or bed in it. And so I would go out to the rooftop and I would smoke this joint. And I talked to God and I would thank God for, you know, changing my situation. You know, that was extreme. Like, it was super extreme. And, um, and then I just started asking God for things. I was like, you know what? I want more. Like, I really appreciate what you've done. I just feel like I can do more and I'm worth more. And I just, I know I need to change stuff. And I recognize that I need to change, but I want more. Like, you know what I want. I've always wanted more. I've always wanted great things. Like, I want that for real. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, well, you have to quantify it. What do, what do you want exactly? And so I started playing this game with God where I would give God a dollar amount that I wanted to make. Okay. And then um, the first month I asked for 14000 um, which is more than I ever made, unless I was doing an event, but like without an event, I never made 14,000 in a month. So I asked for that. And, um, you know, God told me I have to give up things in order to receive them. And so I, I promised that I would never, uh, I would never do Coke again. And that, um, cause I was, I was, I had a Coke problem. <clears throat> Coke was my okay. Problem. I had a Coke problem. I had an alcohol problem. That'll take a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. And I had a sex problem. So that also take a lot of money. You know, um, I was a woman chaser. Um, and man, it was not difficult. So that was, um, it, it fed a need, but it also it just depletes your soul, it depletes your resources. Yeah. Um, and so month one, you know, I asked for like 14000 and then 30 days later, it was exactly 14000 Oh, it's trippy. So I went back and I was like, okay, I see what's going on here. And I'm talking to God like I'm talking to you. I'm like, okay, I see what's going on here. <laughs> uh, let's do that again. Let's run that one back. But that was too easy. Let's do it for 40000 this time. And that's when I committed to not um, eating any more meat or drinking any, any more alcohol. So really? that's the last time I've had alcohol was... Uh, three and a half years ago. Last time I've eaten meat was three and a half years ago. Um, I haven't done, you know, any coke in over three, three and a half years. Um, and I stopped uh, my, my 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 sex addiction came to a cease. Um, and I just dropped all these things. And then um, I went about my business. And at the time... I was building my business on Instagram. Like I don't have a brick and mortar. I don't have a shop. Yeah. I don't have a network of people and I'm not social. I'm anti-social. I'm an introvert, like a super introvert. So I can't go into buildings, passing out the cards, doing that thing. I don't go to network functions. I don't do that thing. Right. I put pictures on Instagram and then people respond. So I was putting pictures up on Instagram and, um, 
I was waiting for responses. And I looked up and I got 40000 I made $40,000 that month. I'm like, what the fuck? So if I just did 14, I just did 40. I was like, wait a second. So I went back, I was like, really? That's what we doing? And uh, then I asked for more, I asked for 100. But I didn't ask for it the right way. I didn't ask for $100,000 in the next 30 days. I said, I want 100,000. I think I was scared to ask for it the way I wanted it. Okay. But I continued being committed to what I was doing. And the next month, you know, I made some money like probably 45, 50, the next month, probably, you know what I'm saying? But that third month, which was June, now mind you, I got out of the shelter in January. Now we're in June. <clears throat> the month of June, I made $100,000 in the month of June. I just got out of the shelter like five months prior. So. That's huge. Yeah. And just on me, like I left the shelter with 300 bucks. Right. So no came. I didn't. I don't have someone that came and gave me anything. No one gave me shit. Right. Like I can say that one with, with with my chest out. No one made it easy for me. I'm not part of some super designer pack. I got all these designer friends. I am a singular entity that just had to get it. I'm just a hustler. I'm just not. I'm not gonna not get it because you haven't decided I should have it yet, or right. you haven't decided to, to believe in me, or you don't want me to be part of your group. I can't attach my future to other people's sales and hope that they give me what I need. I'm capable of it myself. So I just went after it. So of that $300 and just a lot of faith, I had a lot of faith that everything I put out there was going to give me my return. Um, that 300 turned into like a hundred thousand that month. And then, you know, by the end of the year and, and the crazy thing is when I left the shelter, I told myself like, you know, I've never really made any money. I want to make a million dollars in the next year. I made a million dollars. So I was like, damn, all right, damn, you just, just 12 months ago, bro. You was like, <laughs> yeah. you, you, were, you were struggling to find money to eat a bowl of rice and you just made a million bucks on you. And the factory that was making my clothes in Los Angeles, I bought the factory, I bought a Maserati, moved to this beautiful crib in the hills, and then just kept working, you know. I had a quite, can I, let me ask a question. When did you decide, uh, was when I, when I read in your bio, one of the things was that you decided to call yourself, um, a so, you were a celebrity. Uh, you put celebrity by your name, right? Yep, Celebrity Taylor. Celebrity yeah. Taylor. T tell me about that. I believe in the power of words, you know, and manifestation. I'm a manifester. Like, that's my ability. I can manifest things. If I say something with enough energy, it'll show up. Like, I can say a person's name with enough energy and they'll show up. I can listen to your music enough times and you will show up. Like, I got countless stories, countless stories of scenarios I can't even explain. And I have conjured up an entire being that I should not be able to conjure up just from listening to their music mm -hmm. or thinking intently about them. So I know that if I put a lot of energy into stuff, it'll happen. Um, which is why I nicknamed myself Rich when I moved to Los Angeles. Because um, I knew like if I say it enough, if I say I'm rich often enough, people will interpret it. And the universe at some point won't be able to decipher it being a nickname or being my economic status. 
I got it tattooed on my knuckles. Um, and it wasn't until I left the shelter, like leaving the shelter was like my, um, you know, when Saul turned to Paul, it was like my, yeah. my, my spiritual awakening moment. So I went from rich because I was chasing the wrong thing. I was chasing the money without the ethics. And then I shifted it and like, no, let's chase the ethics because the money is inherent. Like that's mm. But like, let's move different. So let's call yourself fresh. Like you need to have a different thing that you're known by and known for. You don't chase this thing. You're just fresh. It's effortless. You just happen to be rich. Um, and so that's why I, I changed my name to Fresh when I left the shelter. So um, I didn't have any celebrity clients. I was a regular Joe. Um, you know, I had celebrities I had done like alterations for, but not that I designed clothes for. And um, so I just, you know, I started calling myself a celebrity tailor. And like I had done it before to get alterations clients. Like when I first got to LA, I put that in my bio before, but I only got alterations. So I was the guy that was doing, I was doing alterations for lots of celebrities. Um, but that's just, it, it wasn't a, a big dollar job. It was a, yeah. you're, you're always broke job. So this time I was like, okay, well, let's do it differently. I'm not doing any more alterations. I've told everyone, I don't do that. I'm a designer. I make clothing. That's all I do. And I saw that celebrities were looking like each other. And I said, someone should be known as the person that does this for celebrities. I don't see anyone. I'm looking. I don't see them. Someone should be it. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll be it. I'm cool enough. I already got the tattoos. I got the nose piercings and stuff already. Like, I don't have to become a thing. I'm already cool. So let me just brand myself as a celebrity tailor. And I just did that. I put it in my bio, celebrity tailor. I started taking these really, like, cool photos, you know, real mysterious, dressing really yeah. nice, super fly. And um, people responded accordingly. And celebrity stylist see celebrity tailor who will only design the clothes. And they say, okay, well, how does that work? And next thing you know, you get one. And you do it right, you get another one. And you do that right, you get two more. And you do those right, you get four more. And you do those right, you get eight more. And that's how it works. Before, I was doing it wrong. So I would get the money but I lose the trust of the customer. So that means you're not getting any of their people. You're not going to even get them again. You got to start all right. over. So my acquisition cost was extreme before. Now I acquire a customer, you're mine, period. No one's going to take care of you better than me, period. And you're going to tell everyone. And I need to make sure that people can tell that you're wearing my shit. So I'm going to put stripes on all my clothes. I'm going to put yellow tabs on everything. And everyone told me I was... So, dude, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Nobody's going to let you put yellow tabs on their clothes. No one's going to let you put stripes on their shit. No one's like, watch them. It'll be a signifier. They'll know it means something. And I just like, I just have these, when I say it's going to be something and I see it vividly, and that's just what it is. I move 100% in that direction. So, me putting up Celebrity Taylor and just having a persona that matched it. When people met me, I really was a celebrity because celebrities are really the only celebrities on camera. They're yeah. really normal people in real life. Every celebrity I've ever met in real life is normal. And when I show up, they're like, fuck. They're super like, <laughs> you know, like he pulls yeah. up, you know, he pulls up in a nice car. You know, I used to rent Maseratis. I'm like, that's all I'm going to drive. 
So I would pull up in a Maserati. I'd hop out in a beautiful suit, nice shoes on, funky hair, tattoos everywhere, like probably smoking a blunt, like just on some rock star. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> I was popping, you know, I'm fresh. Yeah. What? I've never in my life seen someone like you. I was the celebrity. So I just moved like that. And then I quickly became stamped as the celebrity tailor. That's the guy you go to. And that's how they behave. That's it. That's a crazy story, man. That's, that's how it works, though, right? I mean, that's, that is it. Dude, I, 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 um, I, I just bought a book for my daughter yesterday or the day before. When I was moving to New York from Memphis, a uh, good tailor friend of mine, he was a bit of a mentor. He gave me this book. He said, man, I think you'll get into this book more than me. I was reading it, but I couldn't finish it. It just seemed like something you'd really be into. And he gave me this book, and I read it on the flight. The book is called The Secret. I read it on the flight to New York from Memphis. And I reread it again like the next week. And then when I moved back to Memphis, they put out the movie mm-hmm. or like the little, you know, docu, uh, documentary. Yeah. And I watched it and it hit me different. It's like, huh. You, you really can say things and write things down and walk away from it and the universe will respond. You don't have to go to the ground every day and check on the seed that you planted in the ground. Right. Hey, are you still growing? I just want to come and check on you today and make sure that you're still growing because we were talking about it yesterday when I put you in here in the ground and watered you that you was going to grow. I just want to come and talk to you and make sure you don't have to move like that with the ground. You don't have to move like that with the universe. Like you put your intention out there, make it real. The universe will do the rest. And you keep hearing this over and over and over. And then, you know, you, you hit moments of adversity and a thing like that, all these books. And I used to read Tony Robbins books and, um, you know, Carnegie, uh, like my dad was big on those. So yeah. that's all I read. I didn't read fiction. I only read like self-help development, right? Uh, you know, uh, mindset, uh, mastery. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you hit your extremes, you have to have something that you reach for, like something, there's something that's going to guide you through this. And I just had a lot of good information that just reinforce the idea of speak to the universe what you want and just believe that shit, man. You can believe otherwise, but fuck. How is it? Look, look, look. if you don't believe it's going to happen and you're right, what do you win? You don't win shit. If you do believe it's going to happen and you're right, what do you win? You win a whole lot more. Sure. Just believe impossible shit can happen, even if no one else understands why. Just believe it. So that's just part of like the whole thing. And I talk about that a lot on my social media. I tell people all the time, like just the craziest shit ever. Just say it. Just put it out there. Crazy things happen. If, people, if somebody would give themselves a chance to experience it, it would blow their mind. Absolutely. You know, they just don't. Okay, so let's, let's kind of wrap this up a little bit here. Would you give everybody something that's close to your heart that's a successful mind tip? Close to my heart, successful mind tip. Um, yeah. Um, I tell, well, yeah, I tell you this all the time. People always ask, um, 
how I define success. And I heard Earl Nightingale define it as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Mm-hmm. And people, people misconstrue what success is based on what they think they see in other people. They see you with the fancy car. They say, oh, I want to be successful like David. They don't realize what David's had to endure. The shit he's had to learn, the money he's had to invest, you know, like they don't see any of that. They just attribute success to the thing. But success is really moving every day as if the thing will one day be real. If you're moving every day as if the thing you're working on will one day be real, yeah, that's success. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Listen, I want to thank you. It's been an honor listening to your story. I like, I've just been fascinated listening to it. And I know that it's gonna it's gonna reach a lot of people. So I just want to thank you once again for doing this. It's a, it's amazing. Where is the best place for people to get in touch with you? They can find me on Instagram. I'm all over Instagram. Um, so my fashion company, you can find me at Rich Fresh. Rich Fresh. Yep. And uh, our mask company is Henry Mask. Okay. It's got S at the end on Instagram. Uh, so it's Henry Masks. Um, and, you know, you just just check out both companies. They're both doing amazing things. Uh, you know, the website is richfresh.com, henrymask.com. And we we announce a lot. You know, we're making a lot of big changes. The brands, both brands are evolving rapidly at the same time. Yeah. So um, everyone's getting to see in real time. Like, and I think that's fascinating, too. Like people have people have been able to follow this journey. We're still transparent about our journey. It's like the, it's like a Truman moment, but for entrepreneurs, you get to watch how a fashion brand starts. I want a luxury fashion house. How do you start that with no resources like this? All right, we want to build a huge brand and right now take this mask space and do something great with it, and then figure out what other areas to grow into. How do we do that with no investors and no, we just take our money and we do it and let's show people how we do it, you know, and let's talk about doing it. Let's like be active in our doing. So I think, you know, people come and they check us out online. They'll, they'll see that that's, that's what they'll get from us. They'll get to actually see us building these companies. That's really cool. That's really cool. That inspire a lot of people for sure, because they always want to know how did they do it? because they don't think they have the things to do it. And they don't realize it's the decision that starts. It starts with the decision. That's it. My brother's a high school dropout. He dropped out in the 11th grade. Um, I'm a, you know, I went to, to like the university for a year only because my parents had kicked me out. I didn't have any place to stay. <laughs> and the university gave me, they gave me a scholarship. So they gave me room and board. I just stayed in the dorms and just bullshitted. Yeah. Just and, you know, just bullshit it. I didn't want to be there. But we don't have the standard tools. You know, we weren't given any of that. We don't have any wealth. You know, our father died. We didn't have, there was no life insurance money. We didn't have any of these things. We, we were at all the disadvantages that one could think to be at. But like you said, it's just the desire. You can have all the advantages in the world and lack the desire. You you won't get any outcome. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's like our responsibility. I think part of my thing when I left the shelter was 
You know, I had to make a commitment. I'm going to be very open with people because this will inspire people. Like the pursuit of happiness, that movie. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Oh yeah. We, me and my daughter used to watch it all the time. We was, when we lived in a 300 square foot studio apartment, Yep. the size of a closet, we used to watch that movie all the time, you know, and we watched the man go through a really tough struggle, but he came out on the other side. He did. Well, people need to see that. Had I not watched that movie, I probably wouldn't have thought it's possible to leave the shelter and be something. I got a chance to see someone else do it. So, oh shit, I can't really feel super defeated. That guy was in the same situation. Yeah. Just persisted. Well, maybe if I persist. So I need to show people what happens if you persist. Somebody right now needs an example of persistence. So like that's that's part of our responsibility. That's great. You're I because I believe in everything that you do, people are watching. And you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem, you know? Hundred percent. There are no bystanders. No, no, I totally agree. All right, man, we're going to leave it here. Thank you much. Fresh has been absolutely amazing. And uh, I wish you all the best in the world. Thanks, man. David, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.